Welcome to MedKinza Talks, your go-to source for bite-sized content in becoming future doctors. I'm your host, Kinza Hussein, and I'm a second-year medical student helping students navigate the ins and outs of one of the most competitive careers. I will be sharing the lessons I've learned and inviting guest speakers to provide real quality advice to help you get into medical school, succeed as a med student, and prepare you to become a future doctor. Want more free quality advice? Subscribe to my YouTube channel and follow me on Instagram at MedKinza, where I post videos and infographics delivering content to you every week. Now sit back, relax, and learn something new. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of my latest episodes released every week. Hey, welcome. This is episode 14. In this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing Kelly. Kelly is a third-year medical student, and you can find her on Instagram, where she has over 8,000 followers, at Kelly Takes Medicine. Today, we are going to get the chance to hear more about what scores got her into medical school and what her future may look like in terms of residency opportunities. Keep listening if you want to hear more about what path Kelly is planning on taking. Hi, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast. How are you? Hi, Kenza. Thanks for having me. I'm good. I'm excited for this podcast. Yeah, I know. Me too. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What do you do? What year are you in? Sure. So I'm from Southern California. More specifically, I'm from Anaheim, which is where Disneyland is. Um, It's about 25 miles south of LA. I went to UC Irvine. Um, I wanted to stay pretty close to home. Um, My major was biological sciences, and I actually became the first in my family to attend and graduate from college. Congratulations. Um, (laughs) Uh, Currently, I'm in my third year of med school. I attend an MD program in Virginia. That's awesome. So how many times did you go to Disneyland as a child then? Oh, man. I had like, I held many Disneyland passes. So I would go all the time and I would just go for like an hour, which is like the nice thing about having a pass because you could just come and go whenever you like. (laughs) I think I've been to Disneyland maybe twice. (laughs) Yeah, it's I I can't imagine going there and spending like the entire day there. It's so tiring. So my next question for you is about your GPA and your MCAT score. And the reason for that is I like for our listeners, if they're pre-med, especially to kind of know, you know, what scores got real people in rather than just the stats that they're seeing online. Mm -hmm. And um, so Kelly, she is at an MD program and a lot of my following might be a little bit more geared towards DO. So it'd be great to hear kind of what stats you had going into medical school, if you're willing to share that. Yeah, of course. I have nothing to hide. (laughs) So my science GPA was actually 3.3. And then my overall GPA was 3.5. So I was pretty worried. I didn't think so I was like pre farm for most of college. So I didn't, I was scared that my stance weren't enough to get into medical school. and then on top of that, when I took the AMCAT, I got a 507. And I never retook it because I just didn't have like the resources or like you know mental capacity to like retake it um so with with these stats i was a little discouraged but then i started hearing about do programs um and i'm actually interested in primary care and i knew that from the get-go so um and i know a lot of do candidates do end up in primary care so i actually applied to like 20 do programs and then 24 md programs so i was like pretty split um so I think there's this like misconception that like one's better than the other but like 
really, I feel like it's just different missions, you know? So when I applied, I just, I read through like every MD program's mission and whatever was primary care, I applied to those, you know? And then of course, DO program seemed like a good fit, so. So what made you, full disclosure, what made you choose MD, an MD program over a DO program when you got your acceptance letters? I feel like I, okay, so I only got accepted to one MD program. <laughs> and I mean, the reason, yeah, the reason why I chose it was honestly because of logistics. I did not want to take two board exams because mm -hmm. I know my DO friends, like you, you have to probably take yeah. the complex and step one but not everybody does depending on like what specialty they want to go into but honestly that was like the main reason why like I did that's I mean it's a stressful exam so like if I can only take one that would be best and then also VCU's mission like still aligned with mine so I was like no why not <laughs> that's perfect so that's actually really there was some really good advice in what you were saying so you chose schools even though there were a lot of schools that you applied to you did 20 and 24 you still chose schools that only corresponded with your specific mission of primary mm -hmm. care so do you think the one md school that you did get accepted into do you feel like you had better chances because you were so specific about what you wanted so then all of your essays maybe kind of lined up with exactly what the school had to offer Mm -hmm. Yes, a hundred percent. I think that's like one of my, um, one of the main things that I tell pre-meds is like when you be very intentional about where you apply, because like, for example, I probably would not get into any schools that were research and, you know, surgical focused. I probably wouldn't get into those schools because my application probably does not match up with what they're looking for. So yes, I definitely think that that it does matter. That's actually really, that's great advice. So instead of research, uh, what did you do for your extracurriculars instead? I did lots of volunteering, especially in underserved settings. That's mm -hmm. sort of where I imagine myself practicing in the future. So I did, um, like I was in, have you heard of Flying Sam's? No. It's like this, Basically, it's like a student-run clinic, and then we drive down to Mexico like every month or so and just provide free primary care to them. So I did that, and then I also did some volunteering. Not really clinical-related, just like volunteering in senior homes. Yeah. I'm interested in geriatrics, so I thought it'd be nice to do that. And then I did work as a scribe um, for a little bit, and then I worked as an MA for a little bit. Um, yeah, I think those were... I did... So, like, I hate research, but only because I was doing bench work in college and I just hated it and I'm very impatient so I can't like I don't know research requires a lot of patience you know it takes a lot of time to see the effect <laughs> you know what this is the first time I'm gonna probably say this uh, on a <laughs> platform but I did research right everyone knows that I did research my college years and even my gap year I worked for Santa Fe as a scientist mm -hmm. And I think all the research experience I had just kind of helped me get that position during my gap year. But I realized when I started working in farm at that company that I was not good at research. <laughs> um, yeah. It was so stressful. And I was just like, I just couldn't do it. I don't know if it was the math. It's very simple math. But there were certain procedures and just like the concepts just didn't stick. Uh -huh. It wasn't easy for me. And yeah. I didn't that until many years later. So um, I, I think you're the first person that I'm meeting so far that <laughs> outright said that they hate research. And it's great that you know that about yourself. And I wish I 
I wish I knew that I had other options when I was in mm-hmm. pre-med and I was building up my CV. I just thought like, oh, I need research and I need publications. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm going to get mm-hmm. in. And it completely wasn't true because I met so many people my first year who had absolutely no research op- mm-hmm. like, experience. And I remember right. thinking like, how did you get into medical school at all? And then I realized they did all this clinical stuff like you did. Mm-hmm. And honestly, they were way more prepared for med school than I was because they knew a lot of clinical scenarios that I just haven't been exposed to. Right, right. And that's a really good point because I think people, I think it's more of like a checklist item than like, a, you know, actual requirement. But it's like, again, like it depends on what school you apply to. If you're applying to Harvard or John Hopkins, then you, yeah, you probably need some research. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully, you know, you like it too while you're doing mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So uh, my next question for you is, are you leaning towards any kind of specialty? You are a third year, so it's probably starting to like kind of be on your mind. You're going to be applying mm-hmm. next year. So what are you thinking about so far, especially after having done your rotations as a second year or third year? Yeah. Yeah. So I came into math school knowing that I wanted to go into geriatrics. And the path to that is you either do a residency in internal medicine or family medicine. So going into rotations, I was kind of in between those two. And I still haven't had family medicine yet, but I've had so much exposure to it already. Um, But then my third rotation was internal medicine. um, And I loved it. So that's, um, that was my favorite, that is my favorite rotation so far. But uh, so now I'm leaning more towards internal medicine. and hopefully I can, you know, do a geriatrics fellowship after that. Um, but then, so I think internal medicine is similar to family, but you don't see kids and you don't, you aren't trained in OBGYN. Um, so for me, if I want to, you know, take care of older patients, I feel like that part of the family medicine training may not be as helpful to me. So I think right now I'm more um, thinking about internal medicine. So what makes you love internal medicine? You know, what experience or shadowing or whatever you've seen, what makes Mm -hmm. you like it? I like it because, so internal medicine is often referred to as just medicine. And I think there's a reason for that. And part of it is because every physician needs to know like the bread and butter of medicine before they move on to their specialty of choice. So for example, like I cannot say the same about like OBGYN. That's not like, not everybody needs to know OBGYN to like, you know, go into whatever specialty they want, but it's not, that's, but for medicine is actually like, you need to know a little bit of everything and you need to know it well. And for me, like, I don't like one organ system in particular and I kind of like everything. So it's definitely for people who like kind of want to know everything and also want to take care of the patient and be their primary team. So like in the hospital, the medicine team takes care of the patient and then coordinates care, knows everything about the patient. And you have to take care of like all their health problems. So like in the plan, you'll see like the problem list is like 10 10 problems and we have a plan for like every single one. So like, I just feel like we get to know the patient the best and kind of you know, make sure that the specialists are taking care of them. Yeah. So um, I kind of yeah. have a question about that. So I think I have a little bit of a misunderstanding about it because I always thought like very generalized, obviously, mm-hmm. not 
patient's care is different, but I always thought like, oh, okay, if I go into internal med and I don't specialize, I know that you want to specialize or get a fellowship in geriatrics, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. what if I just stay in internal med, is mm-hmm. all I'm doing, like seeing a patient and then referring them to a specialist, is that going to be my primary job? And then, you know, write mm-hmm. up a whole chart after I see them. So mm-hmm. do you mind speaking a little bit to that? Like, is that true or is that completely wrong? Yeah. I don't think that's true. So I think it just depends on the provider too. Um, for me personally, like the providers I've seen, we only refer patients or like request a consult if we cannot ourselves take care of the patient. Like if there's something we cannot figure out, then of course we're going to call like, you know, the pulmonologist. Um, so I think, yeah, that is a misconception, but it depends on the provider too. Like I know some doctors who like just don't want to think and don't want to deal with it. So they're just like, okay, I'm just going to refer you out, you know? Um, so it just depends, but that's not been my experience. Like we kind of do our best to take care of the patient and like figure out what's going on, fix the, the issue. Yeah. And then if we can't, then that's when we call or refer patients. Does that make sense? That, that sounds about right. Yeah. I think you hit it on the nail there. It depends on the physician themselves. Mm-hmm. It kind of depends on how much they love their job and how much they love their patients. Right. Yeah, that makes right. more sense now. Yeah. So uh, my next question for you is, you have an awesome Instagram page. I really like it. And I was wondering how you got kind of got into it and how you manage your time as a third year with running your page. That is a great question. I ask myself that every day. (laughs) Honestly, it is time consuming. Um, I think the main thing is I just make time um, because it's something that's important to me. Like, because when I think back as a pre-med, like, I didn't really have a lot of resources or mentorship. Like, med IG was not a thing back then when I was a pre-med. <laughs> um, so I, like, kind of make time for it. And then I also have this issue of, like, I don't like letting people down. So, like, there's that pressure to, like, you know, keep posting things and keep sharing advice. Um, but I do try to limit my use to, on Instagram to, like, maybe one hour a day. And then, honestly, sometimes, like, after like a full day in the hospital on rotations, like I haven't opened Instagram, you know, too much throughout the day. So it's nice to like come home, open Instagram and then just kind of see what people are up to. So it's like a nice way to de-stress. And like, I always like see people on stories, like kind of going through what I'm going through. So like sometimes it's actually motivating to see like, okay, other people are struggling too. So I feel better now, you know, like it's just like a way to de-stress and then like kind of even like connect with people you've never met like before, um and then I always it's nice to like sometimes open up messages and see like you know people leaving little messages for you like thank you so much your blogs helped me you know so like in a lot of ways it's positive so I try to make time for that I know that's the perfect answer I definitely you know relate to everything you said there and it's so nice connecting with people and you know that's something I feel like I've only just started doing and it's really this podcast that has helped me do that because I get kind of shy responding to people. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I followed you because I like your page, but how do I start a conversation? So yeah. that's the <laughs> part of Instagram for me. Like I'm starting to learn how to do that more and ask more yeah. questions and talk more. And I'm right there with you with seeing people's stories. And like a lot of people are getting those Anki remotes now. I'm seeing that everywhere. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you learn new things. You're like, oh, I didn't even know that existed. I don't know if I'm going to uh-huh. get it because I don't think I'm. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't know if I love Anki enough to get that, but maybe. <laughs> you know, maybe. maybe. It's I don't. So you don't, you shouldn't feel bad. <laughs> no, I don't think I feel bad. It's just like, maybe I could do it from like a distance and just yeah. like have my thumb on the space bar the whole time. Yeah, right. 
Uh, all right, so my last question for you is, what's one piece of advice that has changed your life in a way that you would want to share with everyone on this podcast? Oh, this is a great question. I feel like there's so many things that got me to where I am, but if I were to choose, I would say to learn to be your own advocate um, because there's no one who will advocate for yourself better than yourself. <laughs> um, like, of course, like, like have a support system and like have people in your life to remind you when you can't remind yourself of like your potential and capability. Um, and it's always nice to have people advocate for you too, but sometimes they're not going to be there and it's important to know how to be proactive, take initiative and kind of advocate for yourself. And I think one example for me is like as a first gen, I feel like this part of my identity has always been, like to find my path is being a first gen where I didn't really have mentors I didn't really have like resources um like when I was early on in my pre-med journey so I really had to like be my own mentor and be my own advocate and like okay figure out what prereqs I need and like kind of do like heavy google search and try to reach out to as many people as I can um like there's nobody holding my hand you know like my family didn't know what SAT was they didn't know what an MCAT was they just saw me studying so it's not like I had my parents like you know hovering over me because I know my friends their parents are very intense and like you know always like pestering them about you know submitting apps and all that so I feel like that's really important to just kind of advocate for yourself no that's awesome you have a lot of strong willpower to get yourself through all of those standardized mm -hmm. exams and um this is actually kind of going back to that second question i asked you about stats but did mm -hmm. you take any gap years um after college to work on your application since especially you yeah. had you know advocate for yourself on that yeah i did i took two gap years and i was very nervous about that because i thought i'd be behind but then i didn't know until i got to med school that most people take gap years so it's actually weird if you didn't. I only know like maybe one or two people who went straight from college to med school. Yeah, me too. I thought it, I was pretty uncomfortable about the idea as well. And I kind of regret yeah. rushing everything. I rushed a lot. That's why I took the MCAT three times. I was just in a rush. I was like, okay, the first four wasn't good. I'm going to book my second, you know, uh, date and take it again. Okay. That's not where I want it either. I'm going to take it again one more time. Mm -hmm. It was completely rushed and it was because I was trying not to take those gap years, but I agree with you. I got to med school and everyone that had taken gap years, I like felt jealous. I was like, oh my God, I wanted, I wish I took them. Like right. yeah. cool things. And yeah. yeah, so if anyone's out here listening and feeling the same way about mm -hmm. it, definitely no one has regretted their gap years. Nobody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know that some people, I had pressure from my family to not take the gap year because like, oh, I'll get distracted from my path. But mm -hmm. you know, that might not be a bad thing for some people either if they decide right. medicine's not for them which is completely fine, you know, because you're going to be in medicine for the rest of your life. And if you don't love it, you know, maybe you should figure that out during your gap year. Right. Too. So it could be very positive in so many ways. There's nothing negative that comes out of it. Mm -hmm. And I agree. And I'm so glad that you're doing this. And, you know, we're, we're here talking about it because it's crazy to just like see how many people don't know this. So I'm just glad that you're doing this. Yeah, no, I definitely didn't have a huge social influence for like the medical community either. And I only applied, uh, it's like two years now, two years mm -hmm. ago. And I don't remember there being a huge community on IG either. Maybe I hadn't discovered it yet. So yeah. Yeah, it's definitely grown a lot in the past two, three years, which I'm really happy to see. There's mm -hmm. so much help out there now within social media. Yeah.
Yeah. So thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your blog, (laughs) Instagram, and for helping other people. If you guys have any questions or want to talk to Kelly more, you can reach her on Instagram. Again, her handle is at Kelly Takes Medicine. So thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Kenza. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. If you guys have enjoyed the podcast, make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Also, if you've learned one little thing from the show, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review. It means a lot to me and I read them all. I'll see you guys in the next one.